0: Good evening, everybody. Lovely to see you. I'm going to be thinking today about unity. And um, I don't know how you think you might have changed in the course of the last two years, this pandemic period. But I have a little theory, and it's this, that most of us went down a little burrow. Most of us, during this period, have gone into a kind of a nice little cozy space. Now, it's been necessary for many of us. For many of us, this has been a really hard time. We've needed emotional support. We've needed stability. We've needed security. We've needed to have a few people close to us during this time. And it's not a bad thing to have a nice little burrow to go down because it may be that during that, this time, you have, in that little burrow, had to kind of face up to a few things. I have. It's been a time for God to get hold of me and say, hey, Steve, what about this? What about that? It's been a time maybe to reassess. Why do I do things like this? What do I really want to do? Is this right? And it was also a time maybe to wake up to those who are very close to us, that we share life with day in, day out, and sometimes we take for granted. So all those are good aspects of going down the burrow. But there are bad aspects as well. And um, I would say that some of the negative things about going down the borough are that it's about creating a life that is essentially safe, a life that is cozy, comfortable, and it's about me. And I think that this is something that has happened in our culture in these past two years. Jane was at the supermarket during this week, and because of staff shortages, there were just a few cashiers. And she said it, it was like World War III was about to break out. Everyone was really agitated. This is not right. Where are they? It's not like this in Aldi even. And all because their own needs were not being met. They wanted to get their stuff and go back to their borough and enjoy it. Does that ring a bell? I wonder whether you recognize that in yourself. Because I think it has affected our society, and I think it has affected our church. We coddle ourselves with our box sets and our Amazon deliveries. For some of us, we sit in our burrow and we have succumbed to anxiety and fear. For some of us, it's been about opting out of a life that's based in wider networks. Editing out of our lives people who are inconvenient, people who are not like us or surplus to requirements, and just having a very narrow life. Do you recognize any of this? I do. And I think I want to say to you today, it's time for us to come out of our burrows, guys. It's time for us to come out. It may be, of course, that aspects of church life, aspects of society have changed forever. But the life that we are called to as Christians... Is a life that is shared with others who are different to ourselves. That's what you signed up for in becoming a Christian. You didn't sign up to having a nice group of friends who were just like you. You signed up to be part of this thing that has gone on throughout the centuries and throughout the decades. With people that you perhaps, if you were to meet them today, would think, really? Are we part of the same church? Yes, you are. That's what being a Christian is. It's a corporate thing. And so as we come to this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, as a prisoner, he's in prison, he has no choice but to be in his little burrow, as it were, but just his mindset is not about being inside there. His mindset is out there. He's thinking of these people in Ephesus that he's writing to. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of, Of the calling you have received you have been called we have been called we've received a calling and now we've got to live a life that is worthy of the name of Jesus that's a pretty challenging question isn't it if someone saw my life day in and day out would they be reminded of Jesus live a life that is worthy of your calling now, this, I'm talking about having one life. There is one life for us all to leave. It is true that we have our individual lives to lead, and we have our individual callings. And we'll be thinking about ne- that next week, because in verse 7, he goes on to say, But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. But today, I just want to be thinking about what it means for us to live the life, to live the Christian life. And I think it's really important that we think about this now, that we think in terms of us living a life together. A, because of the impact of COVID. B, because we're now in this church grafting phase. We're gonna be sending out a group to to Snenton as well, all before Easter. And C, because we are embarking on these discussions about human sexuality, which are potentially contentious. So it's really important that we got our heads around being one, being one church, having one life that we share together. How do I know that we are talking about one life? Well, he, Paul goes on to say the life that you're called to live is about this it's about being completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. And you know, if you're experience of church, as it is for some people, has become for some people, is you stay at home and you turn the telly on, and then maybe you listen also to an odd podcast. If that is your experience of church, you do not need to practice humility and gentleness and patience, and you don't have to bear with one another, because there's no one there to bear with. You say, well, hey, you know, I don't just practice humility and gentleness and patience with my Christian family, you know, what about my own family? true. But in the words of Jesus, even the pagans do that. See, church is different. Church is recognizing that we've got brothers and sisters who, are, who we wouldn't choose, who are very different to us. But actually, we're called together. We're called to live a life. And it begins with humility. Humility, in the, at the time that Paul was writing, was not considered to be a virtue. Humility... Who'd want to be humble? If any of you started watching uh, The Apprentice, humility is not a quality that people are looking for in in those apprentices, is it? And in the ancient world, it definitely wasn't. You know, humility was for slaves and servants and people like lowly people. You don't want to be humble. Why would you want to be humble? Well, the reason that humility is the Christian virtue above all others is because our Lord... The one who is supreme and over us got there by being humble. You know what it's, we, Gareth has already quoted, Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not think that equality with God was something to be grasped hold of or held on to. But he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. Therefore, God has exalted him. That phrase, at the start of Philippians 2, is variously translated in our Bibles. Some Bibles say, even though he was in very nature God, he did not hold on to it. Even though. But it's it's a participle. It just means being in very nature God. He did not think of holding on to equality with God. In other words, because he was God, being God, because... Humility is the heart of who God is. There's always been this lovely, selfless interaction between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. We know about humility for different reasons. We learn humility in the church because the one qualification for being part of a church is to know that you are broken, that you are sinful, and that you desperately need Jesus. If you don't think you do, you can't be part of a church. It's the only qualification. And therefore, humility has to be that baseline in all our relationships. And if we know that we need mercy, then we can be gentle with one another, can't we? We can be patient. We can bear with one another in love. But as I said, you don't need any of these things. If your idea of a Christian life is just you on your horse going into the Wild West, with just you and God. The Christian life is a corporate life. Let me just quote to you a few of the things which are uh, descriptions of this life in the New Testament. In chapter 5, Paul says, Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Then in Colossians chapter 1, he says, Live a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Notice, live a life. Not live lives, live a life. And then 1 Thessalonians, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a life. It's a life. Why is it a life? Because we are Jesus' body here on earth. He, 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 and he lives in us by his Holy Spirit. So the life that Jesus lived was like this, wasn't it? It was a life that was holy. It was a life that was pleasing to God. It was a life that eventually led to persecution and death. And that life he wants to continue to live through us. So that when at work tomorrow, somebody sees you and your reaction in a particular situation, they sense, oh, I've seen that before somewhere. Oh, yeah. We, we had uh, someone come on foster placement with us. And there were three people who'd shown her love in her life. Because we'd been around Nottingham a long time, we knew them all. They were all Christians. And she'd seen the life in this person, and that person, and that person. It was the life of Jesus living in them. You know, we spend loads of time fretting about how we're going to make the most of our life. I think sometimes it's the wrong question. Jesus wants to carry on living his life in us, his body, the church. So, there's a life to live. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, Paul writes in chapter 1, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So, there's a life to live. And there's a unity to maintain. He goes on to say, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, I want to tell you a fact. The fact is, Christian unity exists. It is a fact. It's just as much a fact as my sisters and I are siblings. The fact is that you are related to every Christian on this planet. From God's perspective, there is unity. But that unity takes effort to maintain. You probably know that seven years ago, God called me to start um, Nottingham City Prayer. And I'd been on a real journey up till then. Because when I came to Nottingham, you know, I have to confess, there's some pretty amazing churches in Nottingham. And, I, and I, I, I would go into say somewhere like Trent Vineyard. It's massive. Thousands of people. Wow, this is so successful. And I would feel so small. And I'd feel, oh, I've got to keep a distance from them. Because it's so threatening. And God did a work in my heart in the course of these years, which has led me to this position now to f- of trying to Build unity in the church. Now, when I go into Trent Vineyard, I say, hey, look, is this great? This is mine. It's mine because it's ours. We're one. We really are one. But we have to maintain the unity of of, of the faith in the bond of the Spirit, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, because it takes effort. So I just want to think about the effort that it takes. It takes effort to work at our relationships, doesn't it? Especially with people who are different to us. It's really easy for you in the life of the church to develop a few close friendships with people who are like you. Well, so what? Even the pagans do that. But to develop friendships and relationships with people who are different to you, you find a bit awkward you feel a bit embarrassed about being with, that's Christian love. That's Christian unity. I know one of the greatest things, greatest witnesses of this church over the years has been our football team. Pray God it will still be, Sam. <laughs> because people see, have seen in that football team something different about people building relationship People who are very different, loving one another and supporting one another. That's what it needs to be like. It takes effort. It takes effort to reach out to other people. You know, you can spend your time thinking, huh, well, so-and-so has not been in touch with me, have they? Why should I reach out to them? Well, why, why shouldn't you reach out? Why shouldn't you be the one who takes the initiative? If we all just sat there waiting for that, the other person to take the initiative... It would just fizzle out, wouldn't it? It takes effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to work through your hurts. It's really easy, especially in a larger church, when something happens to think, oh, well, I'll just avoid being at the same service as them. But that's not the Christian way. The Christian way is to go through the pain of confession, And forgiveness and restoration takes effort to maintain the unity of the bond of peace. So, it's a fact, but it takes effort to, to, uh, to maintain. Why should we bother? Well, we bother because there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We share one hope and one destiny. We are the body of Christ. There's one body and there's one spirit who, who lives in that body. And we share one hope. And that hope is more important than your career plans or your marriage plans or your retirement plans. It's more important. That hope that we all have is more important We have one Lord, and it's our relationship with Him and our faith in Him that forms the basis of our relationships with one another. We have one baptism. You know, I don't have my baptism, and I I just want to speak to some of you here tonight who may not be baptized and may need to be baptized, and you're waiting for that kind of perfect moment. It like the proposal, you know, the perfect moment. We've got to get the right place, the right conditions. So it's, a, it's like this, this wonderful Instagrammable event in my life. It's not like that. It's not your baptism. There's one baptism. We all share in it. You can't baptize yourself. You submit to the church who baptizes you, and you join the family. There's one baptism, and we have one God and Father of all. I don't think that's saying, you're not talking about God as one God and Father of everybody, everything. God is God of everything, obviously, but He's Father of all of us who are in Christ. He's over all of us who are in Christ. He's through all of us who are in Christ. He's in all of us who are in Christ. And so, you know, when I look at you, you may be very different to me. I may be very different to you. But God is over you, and he's in you, and he's working through you. That's wonderful, isn't it? So that's why we make the effort. It's worth it. So I guess my message tonight is life's better outside the borough. And you may be thinking, you know, is he talking about coming to church? I am, but, you know, you're here. It's the people who aren't here that I should be talking to, because I think you know if it, we we do all we can to make a safe space, and, and I think people have resumed all sorts of things, going to college, going to work, going to going shopping, going on the bus, but not going to church, because it's a bit nicer just in your cosy burrow. So if you're listening to this and you're not in church, that is for you. But, but for us here, it's really about it's about the mentality. It's about how I see my life. Do I see my life as just about this nice, cozy space for me? Or am I prepared to reach out? You know, we've been through a pretty hard time. It continues to be a hard time, it'll take a while. But God is shaking the church, and he's reshaping the church. And he's, we're gone into a phase of complete reformation here at St. Nick's. It's really exciting with opportunities for everybody. But it's not the only time that the people of God have been through difficulties. And if you read in 1 Samuel chapter 13, you'll read of a, an occasion when God's people were really, really struggling. Let me just read to you. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Mishmash, east of Beth-Avon. And when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and their army was hard-pressed, get this, they hid in caves and thickets among rocks and in pits and cisterns, yes, literally, in burrows in the ground. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. They gave up on it. But in this situation, the whole thing was turned around just by a couple of people. It was Jonathan, Prince Jonathan, the son of the king, who said to his His armor-bearer one day, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. And the Philistine said, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. (laughs) They're coming out of their burrows. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor-bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up with me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And they, there's an amazing victory that they achieve. And when the army see what these two individuals have done, it says Saul's lookouts at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army, the opposing army, melting away in all directions. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went into battle. So, in this season, at this time, I think God is calling the Jonathans out there, a few people who are going to come out of the burrows, who are going to say, hey, the Lord can achieve victory with a few or with many. Let's see what he can do. And I wonder whether you are going to be amongst those few. This is a challenging time. It's a challenging time. It's time to come out of our burrows. It's time to leave that nice, comfortable place that maybe we've assembled over the last couple of years. It's time for us to take the fight to the enemy. It's time to see what God can do. And we do that together. So let's just pray. Just a a bit of space, first of all, just throwing out a few things which I felt the Lord gave me, particularly for tonight, Um, word to younger people, word about baptism, some of those things may be for you individually, and if so, I just want to encourage you to really lay hold of them and respond in your heart and do something about them. what God is saying. So Lord, give us courage to respond to you. Thank you that you said, if we have faith just like a mustard seed, we can move mountains. So we offer to you the faith that we have. You call us to live the life, to live a life that is worthy of our calling. So this week, help us to live the life. Lord Jesus, let your spirit be alive in each one of us. Let the world see you fleshed out in us. You call us to maintain, to to make the effort to maintain the unity of the bond of peace. So we commit to do that. We commit, Lord, to reach out to other people. We commit not just to stay in our nice little friendship groups. We commit to be the body of Christ for your glory in this city. In Jesus' name, amen.